So my name's Phil, and it's really nice to see you. Uh, what we're going to do is just work through a few verses from uh, Mark. Mark is a, um, a biography of Jesus in, a, in the Bible, telling the story of his life. And we're spending a few weeks just at the very beginning of this story. It's really exciting. Jesus is just kind of coming onto the scene, and people are figuring out who he is and what he's about. So let's do that as well. Let's figure out who he is and what he's about as we read. So we're going to go Mark chapter 1. Verse 21. They, that is Jesus and his, um, his new friends, uh, they went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? a new teaching, and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Now every now and then, someone or something comes along that means there's no going back to how things were before. There's just no going back. They do something that just gets everyone's attention, asking like the question we just saw, what is this? Something new, something fresh comes along. The real deal, something so important that it just stops everyone in their tracks. What is this? This changes things. When Edison first lit up the light bulb, when Armstrong stepped onto the moon, it redefined what humanity was aiming for. The moon is now the benchmark. When Hendrix set fire to his guitar at Monterey, when Apple released the iPod, this little white box of wonders. When Luther King led the march from Salem to Montgomery and the police brutality was broadcast across the US on TV right into people's living rooms. Seeing that for people changed things. They couldn't just shrug their shoulders anymore. This was a new moment, a moment for change. King, he was the real deal. There are these moments where you say, what is this? And nothing's the same after that. Well, the reason that after 2,000 years, this man called Jesus from a town called Nazareth in modern-day Palestine is still being talked about, more than that, being worshipped today, is because when he came along and said what he said and did what he did, it changed things. When people saw what Jesus did and said, they went, what is this? This is something else, something real. You can't just walk away from this. And we saw that question in verse 27. They asked each other, what is this? The crowd witnessed something that just stopped them in their tracks and made them ask, what is it? And perhaps what they witnessed is the thing that you and I need to change things for the better in our lives. Let's be honest, things are far from perfect, both personally and also in our world around us. If only there was something or someone different that could actually change things. So many people are full of talk. What about someone who could actually do something? 
Perhaps then what this crowd saw in Jesus is the thing our world needs in its pain, in its brokenness. They can actually change things when there's, to a point where there's no going back to how things were before. So let's have a look. What is it about Jesus that stops these people in their tracks to go, this is amazing? We're going to have a look. First thing that they saw is Jesus speak wake up words. He spoke wake up words. Have a look at verse 21. So they went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. He's speaking. The people were amazed at his teaching, because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Okay, so what Jesus is doing is pretty run-of-the-mill in those days. The Jews had synagogues, a bit like a kind of church building, and they'd meet together, and people would get up and teach. They wouldn't actually have pastors kind of like us, but all sorts of people were invited to come and teach, and so Jesus is just joining in with the teaching. But there's something different about him. Something different about his teaching. They have their experts, these teachers of the law, but then Jesus gives his sermon and it just just stops them in their tracks. He taught them as one who had authority. He taught words that did something to them. It's not just that Jesus was kind of funny or kind of slick, doing the TED Talk kind of thing. There's something effective about what he's saying to them. We all remember at school that there were teachers who you'd listen to, you'd really respect, and then there were the other teachers. Right, you know, the ones who would just shout and yell and the class would just like, whatever, you know, carry on doing their things. Now, I remember Mr. Wayneman. Now, everybody loved Mr. Wayneman. He was this young, cool bloke who was really good at football. So all the boys were just like, this is the coolest teacher we've ever met. He never had to shout. You know, he'd just come up to you and be like, Johnny, do your work. And you're like, okay, sir, I'll get on with it. Because this is Mr. Wayman speaking. When Jesus spoke, it was different. Verse 27, the people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching with authority. It's new. It's got authority. Now, I said that Jesus taught wake up words. Why do I call them wake up words? Let me illustrate. At Sainsbury's, a pack of five custard donuts is 50p. Now, I'm something of an authority on this. Um, they are 50p of sugary custardy goodness. Custard donuts are the best. We're not arguing about that. Now, I'm a bit of an authority on this, on the, on the custard donuts. What I say is true. But you know what? It's hardly change your life stuff, is it? Me telling you about the price of donuts in Sainsbury's is hardly going to make you go away and rethink your life. But if I said to you that I'm an infectious diseases expert... And you know what? That rash on your skin is a sign of something very serious. That's going to change things for you. That's speaking wake-up words. Words that are going to make you wake up. You've got to listen. You've got to do something when I told you that. Words with authority. I know what I'm talking about. And, and this thing I'm telling you changes things for your life. Wake up. Go get that looked at. Now, when it says Jesus spoke with authority, it means he spoke these wake-up words. This changes stuff for your life words. So what was it that Jesus was saying? Well, we don't actually get told in these verses, but surrounding these verses, we get all sorts of teaching. So let's have a look at a little example, a snippet of the kind of things Jesus would say. Flip over the page to chapter 2, verse 17. This is really close by to what we This is an example of what Jesus said. 2, verse 17. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are ill. 
I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Here's some of Jesus' teaching. I have not come to, come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, this is not donuts for 50p kind of stuff. This is wake up and rethink your life kind of stuff. So, just in this verse, what is Jesus saying? Who's he saying he is? He's referring to himself as a kind of doctor. The expert with authority, like we've just seen. What's he saying about us, about people around him? Well, he talks about being ill. We're ill. When he comes up to us, and he doesn't see a rash on the skin that's a clue to some kind of deadly disease. He sees something deeper. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners, he says. He tells us about this kind of spiritual disease, sin. What's sin? Well, the Bible says it's life lived with a clenched fist at God. That's sin. We don't love the God who made us. Every one of us, we're kind of sick. We, we want nothing to do with God. If we were healthy, we'd function as we were made to. That's the definition of health. Well, we were made to enjoy a relationship with the God who made us. But we've ditched him. And that's, that's our sickness, Jesus is saying. And that's why our lives and our world are just not right. We've got these hearts that just keep doing bad stuff. We keep being selfish. We keep hurting each other. It's the opposite of God, what God wants for us. It's a sickness. Look around you at the problems in our world. Look at the pain in our lives. It's got to come from somewhere, hasn't it? Well, the Bible teaches, Jesus teaches that it's life lived with a clenched fist at God. I'll do it my way. That's the problem. Now do you see the kind of the weight of Jesus' words? We've said to the God of the universe, no thanks, see you later. And do you think God's just going to shrug that off? This is a sickness with one certain outcome, and it's the worst. One day we'll die, we'll meet God, and we'll face his anger. Doing it my way doesn't sound like a sickness at first. It sounds kind of noble, doing it my way. But then you might not realize that it was a rash. But when the expert comes along and says, no, that's serious, you need help, that changes things. And here, with this kind of teaching, Jesus is coming along to people, to humanity, and saying, no, that's really serious, doing it your way without God. Wake up, you need help. Now, when he says this kind of thing to us, you've got a choice at that moment. You've got a choice um, when you hear about the sickness. So, when you go to a doctor, you could go away and say, well, thanks, doctor. That's certainly your opinion. I'll have a think. You've got to go, no, no, no. He speaks with authorities. like, listen, I've studied a med school for years. I've got decades of experience. You need to listen to me. This is something serious you've got. Wake up. You've got to get this sorted. And Jesus comes along and says, you guys, you're spiritually sick. You've tried to overthrow the God of the universe, and I know the solution. And we go, that's nice teaching, Jesus. It's nice. Lovely sermon, Jesus. Lovely ideas. Jesus, what a significant religious figure you are, Jesus. And he's like, no, no, no. These are wake-up words. You're sick. This life you're living, as respectable, as unill as you might feel, listen to the guy with authority. He's trying to wake us up to this reality of what's wrong with us in our world. Now, you might ask rightly, okay, so he's got these words of authority, but how do we know he has authority? Well, for one thing, these people listening to him seem pretty amazed. They've not experienced anything like this before, so that should at least make us think. 
But also, already in the story of Mark, we've seen something quite significant. Back in verse 11 of chapter 1, we had this amazing moment of this voice from heaven. 1 verse 11, a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you I'm well pleased. A voice from heaven ripped through the sky and laid out the doctor's credentials. You're my son. This Jesus, he's the son of God. Which means I think he might know what he's talking about when he looks at us. So if if we leave here, we leave today having heard about Jesus, having heard about our spiritual sickness from him, and we think, that's an interesting idea. You've responded to the doctor who's just told you you've got cancer as if he just told you the price of custard donuts. You've walked away from the Son of God who's lovingly speaking these wake-up words, wake up, this is serious, and we're walking away going, interesting. These are wake-up words. And this afternoon is, for every single one of us, a wake-up moment. Are we going to walk away from this teaching, this diagnosis? Walk away from the Son of God's assessment of our spiritual condition and say, lovely sermon. Are we going to wake up? And listen to Jesus' words of authority. Every now and then, someone or something comes along that means there's no going back to how things were before. What Jesus says changes things for us today. There's no going back. But an expert doctor doesn't just tell you that something's wrong. A doctor's only done half half their job at that point. They need to show you that they can help you. And we've only seen half of what amazed these people and made them ask, what is this? So let's look at the other half of what amazed them. Back to verse 27. So we, we see that they're amazed. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this, a new teaching and with authority? We just thought about that. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. That also amazes them. Here's what we see. Jesus has wake-up words and real deal power. Real power. Let's see what happened that made them amazed at this power that he has. Verse 23. Just then, a man in their synagogue synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, if you want vivid evidence that all is not right with the world, that the rash is serious. This poor man and his being possessed by a spirit has got to be that vivid evidence to us. He's possessed by an impure spirit, a demon. Weird, right? Yeah. But it's also really helpful for us to see past the veneer of ordinary life. We've talked about this serious spiritual sickness we've had. But then again, it's really hard to see that it's serious. Because our life, lived without God, just feels kind of all right. Just okay, just kind of ordinary. And so Jesus, with all his talk about being spiritually sick and it all being very serious, he just sounds a bit alarmist. But this instance of a man with a spirit in him is meant to make us see beneath the surface of the ordinary that there is such a thing as evil spiritual evil, that while we may not be possessed like this man, the spiritual sickness of which we're a part runs very deep indeed. Imagine with me what it might have been like 
for this man to be possessed by his spirit. My friend Paul has, has written a kind of internal monologue, imagining what it must have been like for this man to be possessed. I like crowds. This crowd makes it easier for me to get into the house of prayer and not be noticed. I remember that time at the house of prayer. This, this thing started shouting and screaming things against God. It hates the Lord. It's so angry with him. That's why it fills up my head with all the horrible things. It's been in my head so long now, I know that. Anyway, that time when it started shouting, the men around me got angry and they took me with their sweaty arms and sweaty hands and they threw me outside. I can still taste the blood and the hot dust from the street on my tongue. I can still remember before the thing came to me, oh, life was so sweet back then. Then I could think and smile and laugh. Then one day it came. It just came into my body and into my head and since then it's never left. It's never going to go. It's always going to be there inside my brain and in my heart forever and ever and ever. And now I don't know who's talking anymore. I, I don't know who's thinking anymore. I don't know if it's it or me. I don't even really know if what I'm thinking right now is me or the Spirit. But who is this rabbi? When he speaks, I know what he says is true. I can tell he's strong. I can tell the Spirit is scared of him. Angry, but scared. It's never been scared of anyone like this before. Who is this man? Maybe at last he'll set me free. Can you imagine it? What an awful experience of our world's sickness this man had. But then he meets Jesus. And do you see the impure spirit's reaction? He's intimidated by Jesus. What do you want with us? Have you come to destroy us? There's no, oh, Jesus of Nazareth. Lovely religious teacher. No, this spirit's kind of bricking it. He's like, have you come to destroy us? Think about it. A demon is scared of this guy. And you've got to ask, so who is this man? Well, the spirit gets it. He says, I know who you are. The Holy One of God. Think about it. The, the spirit wouldn't just be scared of a, another prophet, another religious teacher, who you know, comes along with some nice religious words, kind of Chinese cracker wisdom. Oh, isn't that nice? He wouldn't be scared of someone like that. No, but he'd be scared if he met God, wouldn't he? The spirit. He knows that Jesus has come to fix our broken world, to destroy the kind of evil this spirit represents. He gets who Jesus is. And so Jesus does something, or rather he, did you notice, actually says something. He orders a demonic spirit. Now, I don't know much about demonic spirits, but they sound pretty powerful. They possess this guy. He orders it to shut up and come out. There's not even a kind of back and forth argument about this. Out it comes. It's this big stuff. He isn't telling a bunch of school kids to get in line and then they obey. Though if you're a teacher, you know that that would be pretty incredible if they just did it when you said so. He isn't telling a group of angry soldiers armed to put down their guns, though that would be pretty impressive. He's silencing and driving out a powerful spirit with words. He doesn't even enter into some, into some kind of hand-to-hand combat with this guy. This is the real deal, isn't it? This is real deal power. You might think, well, this is all a bit weird, spirits and stuff. Exactly. Exactly. We wouldn't be reading it if it wasn't weird. 
that wasn't extraordinary. You don't read newspaper headlines that say, absolutely nothing extraordinary happened today. You know, that's the kind of thing that happened in kind of village newspapers, you know, like a sheep got caught in a fence or something. You don't read it. You wouldn't bother with this if it said, Jesus said some bland religious stuff and did pretty much nothing interesting. Demon driving out doesn't happen every day. That's the point. What is this power? This is the doctor showing you that he not only knows what's wrong with us, but he is uniquely able to fix it. Every now and then there's a story in the news about someone with some um, difficult illness who, you know, they go to great lengths to travel to the US or somewhere to get that specialist treatment. There's that one specialist surgeon who can perform what they need. If our terminal problem is spiritual sickness, sin, then it would take one extraordinary, unique, powerful individual to sort that out. Could this be him? Why do we need someone with such power? Well, I want you to imagine that you've got a little black stone in your hand. A little black stone. And that stone represents just one cruel thing that you said in your life. Just one, one harsh word in your life. And you just chuck that down. And then you chuck down one little stone for every harsh or cruel thing you said in your life. Chuck those down. And then we all join in. We all begin throwing down stone after stone, one per harsh thing ever said in our entire lives. Throw them down. Then one per twisted thought we've ever thought, one per selfish thing we've ever done in our entire lives. We throw them down. And imagine the whole world joins in. Every broken relationship, stone after stone, every war, every abusive moment, one stone per wrong thing ever done, said or thought, every bitter human interaction. Can you imagine how that would just mount up and mount up, just my personal mountain? Now, this cascade that we would have of spiritual sickness stands as this immovable barrier between us and God. We can't enjoy a pure God with that between us that we've done. Who? Who could move that pile of stones? There's mountains and mountains representing all that we've done wrong. Who could lift away that so that we could come to God? Who could handle it? Who could put our lives right? My bet's on this guy. My bet's on this guy. This guy driving out demons with his breath might just be the real deal. Who are you betting on? Who are you counting on to deal with the wrong that you've done? To handle your guilt? Who are you counting on to heal the hurt and darkness in our world? And there's a lot of it, let's be honest. Is it yourself? Is that who you're betting on? You can handle your own guilt. Can you? Can you handle meeting God yourself with all you've done? I know I couldn't. Perhaps you're betting on humankind, progress. Can humanity handle our sickness of repetitive hurt and hate that it seems generation after generation just seems to keep repeating, we don't seem to be doing a great job of it. And here's the big one. 
Who are you counting on when it comes to facing death? Better be sure it's the real deal. And I want to say to you, call off the search. Call off the search. Why look anywhere else? Because every now and then, someone comes along who's a game changer. Jesus is the game changer. He's something else, isn't he? Something we need with his wake-up words and his power. Hey, and don't forget, he's only just getting started. This is page one of his, his life. You wait. You wait till we get to his death where he dies on the cross and the midday sky turns to black as Jesus suffers the anger of God in our place for our rejection of him when he dies on the cross. Where Jesus wins for us total forgiveness for every last stone. He's the one who's crushed by the weight of that guilt instead of us so that we can be forgiven by God and know God's love. You wait, you wait till the last chapter of this story where he doesn't just teach with authority or even drive out a demon, but he smashes death itself in the face by coming back to life so we can have hope of life after death with God. Do you know anyone else who could do that for you? He's just getting started. This is just chapter one. Every now and then, someone or something comes along that means there's no going back to how things were before. We look at Jesus and we should say, what is this? Let me tell you what this is. This is the real deal. You don't just walk away from Jesus as if he's telling us the price of donuts when he's offering us eternal life with God who loves us. So what do we do? First thing, we wake up. We wake up. See, to become a Christian isn't to be clever or to have some kind of inner spiritual light. You've got the light, I don't. It's actually just to be jolted by the words of Jesus and woken up to this reality of our spiritual sickness and to realize that we need desperate help to deal with our guilt, to deal with our pain and our eternal destiny. Staying asleep to Jesus' warnings is very dangerous. We need to wake up to our need. That's the first thing we need to do. Second thing, we need to believe that he is the real deal. When you've found the real deal, you've got to be mad to walk away from it. When you've seen Jesus in his power and his love for you and that he died in your place to bring you back to God, you've got to be mad to walk away. So instead, believe for yourself. That means very simply saying, yes, Jesus, I can see that you're the real deal. I can see that you're the one that I need to change my life and bring me back to God. I want to leave my life of sin, sickness behind. I want to be forgiven. I want to be changed. I want to know God's love. Jesus, will you do that for me? He can and he will. Let's pray to him now, shall we? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have not left us on our own. With all the problems in our world, Lord, even now, many of us are going through so many things in our lives. We face difficulty of our own making, what others have done, just the sadness of death and pain. We're we're in a mess down here, Lord, and we need your help. I just thank you so much for Jesus, that he came, that you came, the Son of God, and you've broken into this darkness, and you've done something 
Lord Jesus, your power is incredible. And thank you for showing us this afternoon your words and your power. And I pray for each of us that we would wake up and we'd listen. Thank you for being honest with us, Jesus. You don't just come along and tell us nice things which aren't true. You tell us the hard stuff we need to hear. Oh, but then you deal with it. You do everything for us. I pray that this week we would know a new freedom of all of our sin forgiven and our lives changed by your power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.